Welcome to Financial Foresight. This podcast was made by four fee-only CFP professionals to help consumers understand the financial industry. Let's meet your hosts. They're either naive, they're stupid, or they're lazy. You know, the other thing is, is uh, my ceiling fan just went out in my kitchen today. (laughs) He is the commander in chief on this video right now. And uh, man, I am feeling controlled and empowered and safe. Don't stop for Dwight's baby. We can edit that out. (laughs) All of the podcast hosts are owners of RIAs registered in their respective home states. All commentary on this podcast represent the opinions of individuals and not their firms. All commentary is financial education, not financial advice. So let's get started. Welcome to the Financial Foresight Podcast. We have the whole crew together again today. One thing for those that aren't able to uh, tune in and watch the, the YouTube video, one thing I just noticed is Ian had his hat backwards and then turned it forwards, and then Dwight had his forwards and turned it backwards. So I'm not really sure what that means for the quality of today's uh, content, but it is something uh, noteworthy. With that, we were chatting right before we clicked record, and I think some of the struggles and questions and, and different things that people have asked is trying to understand you know, with, with COVID, with the, the different protests and, and riots and all these different things, you have the economy somewhat shut down slash kind of reopening in different states. But then you have the like financial markets and let's just use the S&P 500, which was down as much as 30% in the year is now down almost five. So it's recovered almost all the way back to flat. How is this possible? What does it mean? Any thoughts, feedback, take uh, from, from everyone else here? Well, also for those of you who can't see the YouTube video, Colin just changed his username on Zoom to Jordan Belfort. So he's about to lay a a hot take, I think. Um, But I'll start us off by saying it's just further proof that the market does not actually care what the economy is doing. Uh, it is it is not 100% correlated. People often cite the market as proof that the economy is doing well or doing poorly, and that is not an honest take. Um, you know, I was on a call with somebody from the Federal Reserve of Virginia, and one of the things that they told our FPA chapter is that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of fallout from this, and it's not just going to be contained to 2020 unless the virus is gone soon. Well, the virus is still here. We still have businesses shut down. And then on top of that, now we have, you know, a lot of civil unrest within the country, frankly. And so business is not operating as usual. And it won't be for a while, probably. But people pretend like the economy is fine and the market's up. So great. Yeah, it is interesting. We've talked about it in a couple other episodes of how a lot of this uh, stimulus package maybe was trying to bail out Main Street instead of Wall Street. But Uh, given that the checks were sent directly to a lot of uh, Americans, just straight to their bank account, and the uh, unemployment is higher and things like that, that are just funding directly to people's pockets. But it is just amazing how different the economy is from the market. I know people try to say that the economy is an indicator for the markets or vice versa. Nobody knows. Nobody could predict any of this stuff. 2020 has been wild so far, and we're probably in for a continued roller coaster. Um, I really do believe at the end of all of this, though, between the civil unrest and uh, all of this stuff, it's going to be a huge learning experience, and we are going to come out better in the end. Um, I, I just get fired up whenever I start seeing 
um, excited in a good way. You know, police officers marching with uh, protesters, and there's there's quite a, as much as the the news is trying to continue to spew out the bad stuff. Um, being in LA and watching a lot of this stuff unfold, there was way more good than bad. You know, it's unfortunate. There's a few people which a lot of times end up being like just white antagonists trying to just take out their anger of maybe being locked away inside for three months. But overall, I felt like there was a lot of positive coming away from this. And I hope that ripples into the economy and whether it goes into the market or not will be foreseen. But uh, that's just kind of my small little blurb on it. Well, I mean, if you look at, you know, the stocks that drive the market, most of them are technology names anyways, which are not affected as much by the economy being closed. So, I mean, as much as you want to say Amazon is, Amazon's like everything. So everyone's ordered Amazon. I know we are, um, you think about like Google and Facebook, Netflix, like all these big names have done really well and will continue to do well because of the fact that they aren't, you know, predicated on people being able to go out and do different things. Um, and you think about like kind of the old world uh, economy, like the bits are doing well, but the like making manufacturing old school stuff has really struggled. And those are the names and there's just so much dispersion similar to think about the civil unrest. You think about the, you know, those that have, have seen their, you know, income and lifestyle and all these different things grow over the years and those that have kind of stayed stagnant. And that's part of the issue. Well, the same way in the market, like there's those, the, the rich get richer in the market a lot of times and continue to get bigger and, you know, five names or 20% of the S&P 500. So it's really predicated on a handful of names driving the returns of the market, which again, if you look underneath that, sometimes there's a lot of different companies that aren't doing as well, but again, headlines will be what they are. And overall the, the returns ha have been fairly strong considering everything that's gone on. And, you know, goes back to a lot of the points we talked about in like the investing style and diversification, all that other stuff. If you had a plan and you stuck to it, you're probably doing fine from an investing standpoint. You shouldn't have any issues moving forward. Yeah. You're probably down, um, but you aren't, at a point where you're knocked out of the game, which I think is always the the key thing where you don't want to give up or, or fold your cards and say, I'm out. Um, this might transition to better or good for our next point too. But the other thing is I just pulled up this thing on JP Morgan that small businesses. So those would be ones that are not publicly traded. So the stock market are just those companies that are publicly traded. So even if you use the Wilshire 5,000, that's only 5,000 companies. So like according to, uh, this, I guess they're getting their data from the SBA, Small Business Administration. But in 2010, about almost 45% uh, of the GDP of the United States was made up of small businesses. So call it half, you know, is not coming from publicly traded companies. So um, I think all your guys' points are well taken and just kind of saying also that the uh, stock market, if you will, doesn't necessarily incorporate everything even in within the united states and that doesn't even take into account other countries which have their own uh ways of working i guess whether it's small business or more government handed or etc so yeah the number of publicly traded companies in the united states continues to diminish and i just you know that prompted me to check real quick but yeah in 1996 there was just over there was 7300 uh publicly traded companies now it's it's sub it's around 4000 um is what I'm seeing. There's different numbers that are out there. I'm seeing 3,600. I'm seeing 4,200. So it's probably around 4,000. So you see a lot less from a public, publicly traded companies 
uh, from that standpoint, which is why there's, you know, a lot of different people that will make the claims that you have to invest outside of the market for different things. We all have our individual opinions on that. I don't know if necessarily that's the, uh, the solution either, but, um, it is, uh, it's interesting to see from, from that standpoint, why are not, why aren't more companies wanting to come public? And there's a lot of costs associated with that. There's a lot of oversight that's associated with that. And there's a lot of money that they can grow and get huge prior to ever coming public. Where in the past, that was kind of the only way to access more capital to reinvest and grow and do all those other things where now you have venture capital, private equity, all these other ways to get money without having to be as transparent about what's going on. So I think that's really important to, to look at as well. But yeah, the U S consumer drives the drives the U S market. And I don't have that stat in front of me, but I'm, I'm thinking it's like three quarters of GDP. So it's some huge, I don't want to say quarters. There's some huge amount of GDP that's purely driven by the U S consumer. And that's how the United States has done well. It's because it's so consumer based. I think it's two thirds. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Perfect. The, uh, yeah, the other, the thing that's interesting about keeping companies private right now is that, um, it's, it also allows you to, to pivot a lot faster in the modern economies because you don't have to be responsive to shareholder demands or like you don't have this fiduciary responsibility to these people that you don't know to increase profits, right? So you're, you're allowed to take a loss in a quarter in order to do something really important for the business in the long term or something like that. So I think that there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why business would stay private in the modern era. Um, but I don't know. Six one half dozen the other, I guess. Um, yeah, to Dwight's point, um, I was listening to uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy's Invest Like the Best podcast, and he had uh, someone on there. I, I didn't do the due diligence of checking whether this data is correct, but you know, usually his folks are pretty uh, uh, well-versed and, and knowledgeable. So they said that there was 32 million small business uh, tax returns and they thought that maybe, you know, somewhere around like 5 million of them were, you know, that was the last return or maybe they were getting bought out. So somewhere in the ballpark of like 27 million small ta- small businesses and, you know, us four would be, you know, the single employee, you know, we're, we're adding to those numbers. Uh, it is amazing how many businesses are not reflected in the markets. And I mean, it'd be really interesting to see, and that's probably another subject of whether there'll ever be any indexing of, you know, VC or private companies, which would be pretty interesting to try to put 5% of your portfolio into an index of 10 million <laughs> largest small business private companies. But um, that's maybe a conversation for another time, but just kind of uh, emphasizing the point of, yep. Markets are not the economy necessarily. Consumers drive the markets. Let's see where this thing takes us. So I did a little digging real quick. Uh, JP Morgan has their guide to the markets, which this is as of second quarter of 2020. It had number of US listed companies at 5,500. And it looked like it got to the highest point in 97, which makes sense kind of going into the tech boom and then bust. And that was around about 8,000. So say roughly down, you know, close to 3000. So that's interesting to see that, but yeah, I had to look cause I knew it was somewhere I had to dig for a second. And by the way, Colin just leaked some very important data on here, which is that advised wealth is not a publicly traded company. So, you know, VC firms try to get in there, add value. That's right. That was a little bit of a, a push for all the yeah, VCs well. listening to this podcast. <laughs> Invest in Colin. You can't lose. This guy's great. 
Um, We're expected to double. He's basically Jordan Belfort. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do we want to switch to our next topic here, guys? I feel like we've done a pretty good job about telling our uh, viewers slash listeners that the market is not, in fact, the economy. <laughs> yeah, so tweet of the week. Um, Matthew Kobik? Kobach? I don't know. Someone told me to follow him. He, he is pretty good on Twitter. Uh, he did something with David Perel. I think that's how I initially stumbled upon him. But he basically said, don't steal content inspiration from the competitors in the same industry. Steal content in- inspiration from the best in different industries altogether, mm-hmm. which I think is really, really smart. So if you want to you know, be different, right? So this kind of contrarian mindset of I'm going to do something different. So how can I take whatever I do? Let's say, again, we talked about like restaurants, like, okay, you want to take inspiration. Don't go look at what's the best restaurant in you know New York city doing to, to make their experience better for their, their patrons, like go and look in another industry and say, what can you bring to make it easier? And I've had that conversation with you know, folks in dentistry or veterinary medicine that are starting to look at technology solutions more and more because of some of the challenges with COVID of how to spend and make the user experience and the patient coming in like easier. How do you leverage technology to make it less interactive or, you know, that hands-on where they're used to this like kind of old school, everything's done one way where you can leverage technology to make it safer in, in the world of COVID from, from that standpoint. So any thoughts, um, maybe examples that you all have taken inspiration from other places uh, well, I mean, just just staying on the topic of dentists, I had my first dentist appointment six months last week, and it was definitely different. I got a text the night before that said, hey, we just wanted to confirm, given everything going on, you're still good to come in tomorrow. I said, yes. They said, great, here's our procedure. And they sent me a PDF that had like all of all of the rules that I had to follow. Somebody greeted me at the door. They, you know, took care of everything with face shields on, very professional. I leave and then I get follow-up messages confirming my next appointment, a PDF of what they're planning on doing over the next six months to continue to improve their safety. Everything was incredibly uh, high touch. It was some, their receptionist, instead of calling on the phone, was sending all these messages, personally typing them out. It was, it was really well done. So, you know, props to Fusion Dentistry here in Raleigh. They're, they're great. Shout out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's really wise advice, right? Like you're not trying to innovate within your industry because everybody's already expecting the innovations within your industry. If you want to set yourself apart, do something that the consumer's not expecting, right? Like do something awesome that you can pull from somewhere um, else. So uh, moving into our last segment, which is, you know, top stock recommendations. You got to buy, you got to sell. Um, you know, what do you, what do you have for me, Jordan? Short. WGDP. It's, I just made that stock ticker up. I have no idea. <laughs> Go look this up, see what that is. <laughs> what was the other topic we actually wanted to cover? Were we going to cover PPP not. abuse? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you need it, take it. There's more money out there right now. I mean, whatever I say today is going to be wrong tomorrow because there's just constant information coming out about it. Um, you know, just the like it's really kind of strayed away from what the intent really was. I think the PPP is also having an identity crisis. Like, is it supposed to help small businesses? Is it supposed to keep people from being unemployed? Like, which is it, you know? So if it was supposed to keep people unemployed, then why didn't they just cut a check directly to people? If it's supposed to help businesses, like, you know, why do we have to go through all these hoops? Like, I don't really know. Um, again, I'm kind of coming at it from 
you know, through the filter of hearing a lot of accountants, uh, you know, talk about this and, um, and having to deal with it. So, and working with other closely held businesses. So, you know, again, if you need it, take it, I guess, just understand what the forgiveness pieces are, understand what, what terms there are. There's some folks that are hopeful that there's just going to be a rubber stamp and they're just going to forgive everything that might happen. Who knows? Um, you know, so like I said, whatever I'm kind of done trying to make any, uh, real predictions on it other than just saying like, here's what the rules are today. So, um, I just, again, I think one of the big things is that it's going to become, it's probably going to become public. So just understand if you take it and you probably are not sure that you should take it, just understand your name or business name may be out there. So, uh, just be, you know, I'm assuming most people are going to give people a pass, but didn't work so well for the Lakers. So probably don't be them. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I don't I really have a whole point. lot of hot takes on it. No, I think it's a good point too, just from you know all of us keeping tabs on the you know, financial services firms that have taken it that may or may not need it. And, um, you know, I think the, the quick high level version without throwing too many people under the bus publicly is either, you know, you need to be able to run your business effectively. Um, and it kind of shows that you didn't, because if you think about most firms are derived from charging under assets under management, which we've been in a, you know, 10 plus year bull market. So they should have plenty of reserves. You can make the same claims about, you know, the American airlines and Delta airlines and all that other stuff where they basically misuse capital. So what did you spend it all on? And if you're a firm that had to take it and the market, like we just talked about is recovered, like what did you do? How did you get in that situation and why was it managed properly? And so either they've lied, which is inappropriate or they're terrible at running their business, which if I'm a client or potential client, I don't want to work with a firm that can't manage their own personal finances as a, as a company. So um, it hasn't been hit quite as hard where they have no way to derive their revenue, like a restaurant or somebody in hospitality that literally is shut down as an advisory firm. The assets did not just leave if they're doing their job, right? Most people are not just like having every single client call in and cancel. So that's been my big rub and issue as I've seen more and more people come out and either applaud others for doing it. I don't really know. I, I think, you know, eat, leaders eat last. So they need to take the approach of if they need to take a temporary pay cut to, to make this work, they should do that first to, to leave the funds to businesses that genuinely cannot operate. But that's just, that's my opinion. And you know, there's everyone that's got their own opinion. I just get tired of people celebrating people from what I think being unethical or just flat out lying. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot to be said about firms that should have been able to weather three months of decreased revenue, but can't. And that goes, you know, from where you were talking about at the, you know, small RIA level all the way up to, you know, somebody like Delta, right? Like you're, you're a giant airline. If you don't have, you know, tons of millions of dollars in cash reserves, that's kind of your fault. It's not that you haven't been profitable over that period of time. It's that you've misused your money. So I would actually give Delta more of a pass because they have a legitimate reason for why their revenues fell like dramatically, dramatically. Cause as opposed to like a 25% drop for one quarter. Yeah. And it shouldn't even be a 25% drop for a quarter, but yeah, I actually give the airlines a bigger pass and and so many people have beaten up and like, you know, poo pooed on the airlines, but yeah, absolutely. Like they've actually had a, a loss. So by the way, to return to a little bit of a joke about, 
the PPP loans and, and how vague the guidance has been on them. Uh, to humor Dwight a little bit, there was this wonderful tweet from an account called Tax Telegraph on Twitter uh, about a week ago that was the U.S. Tre- or the year is 2048. The U.S. Treasury releases their final 1,000th FAQ on the PPP forgiveness. We finally did it. We made it clear how the loan forgiveness works and in record time too. <laughs> the joke runs be- that account actually. Yeah. It's like, it's my anonymous account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, do that account. I don't run it. I mean, that's the thing like behind the scenes. I don't run it. <laughs> don't run it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, behind the scenes, like there, there's a lot of talk from a lot of CPAs and tax attorneys that like this thing's going to be litigated for a long time. And I think, you know, it's, you know, probably not something that's very interesting for most people to really think about. But I mean, even though we had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 17, I mean, there's stuff that's being litigated that's 20 years old that isn't even, it, like from a tax perspective, that isn't even like relevant anymore. And it, like, it's just kind of point out like how long this stuff sits on. That's why I think folks are thinking, eh, it's an election year, this is just going to get rubber stamped. But in that case, it just seems like a lot of work to get there. But Well, also, there's not like a... I mean, I assume there's not like an official statute of limitations on how long they're allowed to look back and challenge you on your forgiveness provision, which means that they can do it at any point. So, <laughs> you know, you're you're at the mercy of the administration of the time. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I sent something out to my clients and been talking to them as well is just make sure you document, make sure you contemporaneously document, meaning do it today because you don't want to be five years out and try to have to remember what this is. Like it seems pretty obvious we were in the middle of a pandemic, but you know, again, I make the joke of like, well, if you started a business selling toilet paper, you probably shouldn't have taken the PPP. Um, so you, you know, you might want to make sure you have some contemporaneous documentation in case somebody comes back on this. And the other thing is, is it's not just the government or it's not just the, you know, administration on this. It's also kind of like what Isaiah was saying was, how does this affect you in your industry? So for the financial services industry, for example, like there's questions about, will you have to disclose this? Because as Isaiah said, do you really want to be working with a firm that may not be, you know, financially solvent? Like we, you know, most financial service firms have um, financial guidelines that we have to follow. Uh, accounting firms, CPA firms can be similar. Um, not everybody does, but as I pointed out, like I've got, you know, I know folks that have governmental based contracts out here in Colorado, like you might have contract contractual stipulations to, uh, you know, as part of that, a lot of manufacturers that have a lot of, uh, you know, debt based that's, you know, lent by banks, for example, still have covenants that they have to keep in mind. And so just making sure that like, Hey, are you compliant with all this stuff? Because it seems like, Hey, it's free helicopter money. Let's go take it and figure it out later. Like that's totally fine, but just make sure, you know, you might want to just kind of take a quick time out and say, Hey, is this good? You know, is this a good idea? Like how does this fit into the bigger picture of all of it? Um, so, I mean, again, I'm not saying not to take it. It's just sort of like, think about it for a quick second. And how's, somebody, yeah. And again, if it's not the government, it might be somebody else. And, you know, I think Ian, to your point, like if the administration changes and this goes South, like, you know, it could be, I mean, who knows? <laughs> I would like to say like, no, like this stuff is fine. Like it's in writing, like it's fine. We're not going to change things going backwards, but uh, you know, the last couple of years have really proved that that's not true. You know, like, Hey, let's pass laws at the end of the year that are effective January 1st of this year. Oh, that's great. Cool. Could I ask you guys a political question? <laughs> this is an open format. Let's see how much trouble we can get in. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Here comes the tire fire. So 
curious, genuinely curious of your guys' thoughts. Um, this has kind of been like maybe just amongst like some of my friends who uh, range from a little bit left, a little bit right, a lot of moderates and, and really kind of folks who swing back and forth. They're not like a tied to one political party as much as they are trying to vote with ideas. And this has kind of been the, the thought and a little bit of the rhetoric here of, wow, this uh, government shutdown um, was really forced upon me. And some of the folks who were forced to you know, lose their businesses because Big Brother came in and said, you're done. Um, and that Americans can't decide what is safe for themselves is a little bit unprecedented and a little bit almost un-American, I guess, because we kind of founded our country with middle fingers in the air and, you know, doing our own thing. And that's why we've kind of become like the most dominant country starting firms and, you know, being risk takers. And if you are nervous about that stuff, then maybe you should take matters into your own control and assess your own risk and, and not go outside or not go into public, you know, kind of going to this COVID forced shutdown thing. Um, so then that's kind of started pushing people maybe a little bit to the right saying, you know what, I, I would, I don't really like, uh, maybe our current president for some of the things that he says, but I also like my freedom. So maybe he's going to get my vote. And then all of a sudden we have some civil unrest that takes place and kind of brings up another really important topic of what's going on in America. And is this economy working for everyone? And now all of a sudden things are like, gosh, you know what, maybe I want a president or a leadership that's a little more empathetic to our generation and to our society. And it seems like it's been a little bit uh, of a wild swing here going back and forth. Curious if I'm just way off in left field or if you guys feel that those are maybe some relatively uh, uh, points that maybe hit home for you guys and maybe the uh, Vegas spread of Trump's reelection, how that has uh, taken place. Is it up? Is it down? How do you guys feel? Um, hmm. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. That's a lot of that's a lot of stuff. Um, so for me personally, um, I I abide by an idea of a social contract when it comes to government um, and, and living in a country. And I think that in order to live in the U.S., you are given a lot of freedoms, right? You are given a social contract that ensures that you can say things, that ensures that you can. Um, that you can own firearms or, or, or whatever it is that you value about our Bill of Rights. Um, but also those freedoms are restricted to when they don't harm others, right? Um, and that, and I think that one of the things that's a little bit unfortunate about the current thing, and I wrote a blog post about this called A Good Villain, um, is that COVID-19, and this is referring to your first point, is not a good villain. It's really, really hard for the average human being to see. It's really, really hard for the average human being to relate to. And as a result, we tend to pass it off in the background as if it doesn't matter. Um, you can see that in my state, North Carolina, we entered phase two of reopening and people are behaving like they were as before the virus even started in some ways. Um, you know, they're going out without masks on, they're going to parties with friends and like, it's like, okay, well, this is going to get bad. Um, and so, sure, I do believe that we have some freedoms. And I don't know that businesses being 100% shut down was the exact right course of action. But I would rather uh, stay away from this idea that um, 
that people are only responsible for how their actions affect themselves and not how their actions affect others, which is kind of what the, that sentiment leads to, right? Well, if I can make decisions to ensure my health, then I can do whatever I want. It's like, well, it, not, not really, you know, and that, that's not, you know, necessarily something that everybody's going to agree with, but I don't really think people should be allowed to make a decision that endangers the lives of up to a hundred other people just because they think that they can run their restaurant at a hundred percent capacity. That that's, that's my take. Um, the follow-up to that with, with the, with the political unrest, um, is that, yeah, I do think we need a more empathetic leader uh, at the top. We're dealing with some stuff that is entirely based on other people's experiences, right? You know, President Trump is not black. He's not a woman. He's not any of the disenfranchised groups in our society, yet he is calling them thugs and, you know, making threats against their lives on Twitter. Like that, that's not empathy. That's not leadership. Um, and so th that, that is an area where I think we're lacking in our society very, very dramatically right now. Um, and so as a result, my take is that I think that the president has really, really hurt his campaign for reelection because there were some people who were going to call themselves moderate, who were sitting on the fence about it and saying, well, he's been good for my pocketbook. And I don't think that the pocketbook is going to figure into the November election if we still have buildings burning and people getting sick. I don't think that the economy can take, you know, six more, more months of us not behaving like responsible citizens. Uh, I was trying to, I found this graph. I saw something over the weekend that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, to me, it's just really difficult. Like I grew up in, you know, the Detroit area, which is very heavy manufacturing. Um, you know, my, I come from a lot of, you know, my mom's dad was a small business owner. My mom, my father is a small business owner. And, um, so most of my, a lot of my family is what I guess would be considered blue collar. I, so I, I think there, I think there was a feeling that there wasn't a lot of empathy from the other side. And I think that was that their voice was getting ignored. Um, that, Hey, the only way to work in the United States is to go and get a college education and work in the STEM field. And so, and now that I live out here in Boulder, which is just a completely different bubble, a completely different mindset. Um, I just, yeah, I think it's hard. There's 340 million or whatever, 338 million people that live in the United States. Like, I just think it's really difficult. But my point about the graph, my ADHD is kicking in. The point about the graph was it was about all the states that had um, different, their percentage of STEM degrees as a first degree. And uh, I would just be kind of, just from a data perspective, be curious to like overlay that with other data. But, you know, as you can imagine, it's like California and Colorado and parts of Texas and, uh, you know, Michigan wasn't doing too bad, kind of makes sense. But just it was, it, it seems sort of like where some of this stuff falls down on. And so I do think that it kind of goes, I think both sides have valid arguments. It doesn't mean that it gives them the right to, you know, be assholes for lack of a better term. But um, I just don't think it's just that simple. So yeah, I'd like the idea of empathy, but I, you know, I think Colin, your, your point is, is, you know, your question is, is interesting. And I don't know if we're ever going to get an answer to it, but like I said, just being somebody that's kind of come from both sides of that, I can, uh, 
I, I can appreciate that, you know, I'm, I like to take from a pal of mine, like a pro nuance, like it's just not that simple that it's one way or the other. Um, and I have a lot of opinions uh, along those lines, which is further that, you know, which we don't have time for today, but um, yeah, so. Yeah, I agree. And I think as I've grown up, less things are black and white. There's a lot of gray. And I used to try to always try to figure out how to make something either this or that. And that's kind of how I was for a majority of my life. And I think, you know, as you grow and mature, you figure out like, that's not how the world works, right? Like there's just, there's too many times where there's different points of view. And as you grow and you meet other people and you have relationships and you're like, oh yeah, that, that is interesting. Like that's not my background. And it is, it is so interesting. So, I mean, I grew up on a farm, so like hard work, conservative, like, Hey, you put on your boots, you do your thing, whatever. Like that to me is what I always kind of envision is people need to work for what they get. But at the same time, if there's not a fair and level playing field and you're starting from, you know, the goal line going in to score a touchdown versus the opposite side of the field, like that's a hell of a lot harder. So how do you make that work? And we talked about diversification and I think about that the same way. And like, you know, part of what makes America great is it's a diverse population with a lot of different people with skill sets and other things. So if it works in investing, it should work in the economy, it should work in the, the nation. So how can we make that happen? And I think if you do have empathy and you, you truly care about other people and you want to see them succeed, you'll, you'll be fine. Um, I don't like the free money, like the, the other things going on and just printing money and, you know, adding another digit to this virtual currency that is literally backed by nothing. And that to me, I struggle with to see just continued printing of, of stuff. Cause I think that there are ramifications down the road that people continue to kick in. Like, what does that do? Um, compound interest is undefeated. As I heard in a podcast, like every, every empire ends, it ends up biting them in the ass and it will us too. So we got to figure out how to take care of that at some point. So how do you balance the spending and the saving and doing stuff for people? Cause you're never going to make everyone happy. Cause there's like you talked about 340 million or whatever. There's so many different people. You're never going to make them all happy. And I've seen that even locally in Indiana where I came from is very rural and people have a very, you know, certain way of thinking and sometimes it's backwards and sometimes downright racist. And I, I've seen that. So I think people that say that, you know, racism is a lie. I wrong. I think it absolutely is. And then you move to Indianapolis and again, Indianapolis is not the most liberal city in the United States, but it's definitely different than, than rural Indiana. And people are like, well, the governor should do this. I'm like, well, the governor is also the governor of Indiana, not the mayor of Indianapolis. So there's a big difference between that right. and trying to satisfy everyone is really, really hard. And so you're going to piss people off and you need to have someone that is a leader that is willing to take a stand and be moderate. You can't have this polarization of extreme one way or extreme the other way. Cause then you just lose everything. You need to have some moderation in there. And that's what I think a lot of people, especially younger, get that more, I think, but there are still people that have very, very extreme views. It doesn't work. And all that's going to do is create a divide. You're going to have the civil unrest that we've seen because people are so entrenched and they just get more entrenched instead of opening up and having a conversation and say, you know what, you can change my mind. Instead of saying, no matter how much information, how much truth is, is explained, they'll never change their mind. And so if people are that closed off to ever listen, then you're going to have a really, really difficult standpoint. I'd love to see the end of the two-party system. I think both candidates running for president are awful, terrible, and no good. So candidly, like we're not going to get a solution in the next four years. Like It's going to be more of the same shit, unfortunately. And I would love to see a president that actually has leadership. It doesn't turn off the lights and just doesn't respond to stuff. Like, I think that's inappropriate when you have past presidents and other leaders getting out there and talking, that is important. You need to have some sort of message and yeah, you shouldn't be threatening violence on Twitter. Like that's ridiculous. The fact that that happens is mind blowing, like absolutely mind blowing. 
Um, yeah. And you shouldn't have a president that just cares about the stock market or the economy. That should not be the measure of success. The measure of success should be the livelihoods of people and the whole shutdown of the economy. I go back and forth on that because I mean, if it, I think hopefully, hopefully we don't know, because again, we'll see how it plays out with COVID and the civil unrest. But if we were able to shut down and we prevented a lot of extra deaths, because I remember the American hospital association had something that came out. It was like leaks early on. And I shared it in my email newsletter, but it said that half a million people would die in the United States. That was their baseline situation. If they were able to contain it, hundred thousand people, probably more than that now, because it continues to add. If, if that is the number, then I think the United States probably did a decent job at containing stuff. If now it then re explodes and it gets to that big number, what was the point of the shutdown? Then you just have more unrest and more people feel like I get lost my job. I lost my company. And then you have other issues that come up. So it's hard. You just need someone that I think it can be a real person. And I think one of the great examples of leadership that I saw, and I, th- I don't know if I mentioned it here or somewhere else was like New Zealand's prime minister. You know, she came on national television in like an old sweater and was talking about putting her daughter down, like just very real. And I think sometimes with, with politicians, I even saw a picture of Biden the other day talking to protesters in a suit, like, dude, just put on jeans and a t-shirt and go out and talk to people. Just be real. You know, like, I think that's what people want. We crave relationships. We just want someone that's real. Talk to us straight. Tell us what you're going to do and tell us the truth. And I think we'd be in a lot better shape than trying to promise the moon and stars say, yeah, we're in a difficult situation. We have to do X, Y, and Z. It's going to be hard. There's going to be sacrifices made, but this is what we're trying to get to. And then admit if you're wrong. And I think people would actually love a leader that did that. But again, I don't know the answers to things. These are just, I, I, but Colin, back to the, you're bringing this full circle. I have like happy hours on zoom with friends from all over uh, now all over the country and that I grew up with that we'll have conversations. And yeah, it's absolutely one of the things we talk about all the time. And it's interesting to get different points of opinion and people that are in the military and people that live in different cities and, you know, all over the place, like what they see, what they hear. I think those are all really good points, guys. You, I mean, there's no answer to the question really. It's more or less just giving exactly your thoughts like you did. So I really appreciate that. That was, uh, uh, I feel like, a really great way maybe to end our conversation of some understanding that things aren't always black and white. There is no maybe perfect solution to everything as much as uh, we want to uh, think that there is an answer. Um, So I think just being empathetic, trying to understand both sides, maybe doing a little bit of homework, taking a deep breath before you spit out your answer um, is probably going to uh, serve us all pretty well. And I think just saying, I don't know, is an acceptable answer a lot of times too. You don't have to have an opinion on every single thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think we get into a lot of trouble because people think they understand an issue that they actually don't. So. It's a good spot to wrap up. Probably the most important discussion we've ever had on this podcast. Oddly enough, that's really good. I appreciate everyone else's thoughts and um, thanks for listening and keeping with us. Hopefully that was worth the, uh, the time and energy spent to listen to us. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for listening. We hope we were able to make you laugh and allow you to learn something. For all inquiries and questions, please email financialforesight at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, feel free to give us a follow and ask a question there as well. Remember the podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and you should not consider what we've talked about investment or tax advice. Please consult your professional team before implementing anything we talked about. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking again soon.